Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. We're back in the studio. Matt was away for a little while, all for good reasons. Matt, how's it feel to be back in America? I mean, I'm rested. Yeah. I'm a little relaxed. You seem like Just it. getting back into the swing of things. Good yeah. deal. I don't know if you're open to sharing, but would you mind sharing where you were? Yeah, so my global travels throughout the oil field helped me build a lot of personal connections and a number of them, I made some friendships in Romania and through that got to know some things about what's going on over there. And like a lot of places, they have some serious issues with drug abuse and that sort of thing. And I really connected with that and started supporting just like some recovery facilities over there and just some ministries that kind of reach out to people on in a rough patch kind of thing. And I like to go back over there. I mean, I'm hoping to make it an annual thing. The pandemic sort of disrupted the grand plan. Yeah. But I had to go back and I get to see friends and also people are kind of in the program. And the cool thing about consistency is guys that were in recovery 10 years ago are my friends now. And I get to go back and see them when I go back. And so it's just a really energizing thing. And I mean, I stay at a rehab center, which is like one of the most peaceful, like, just peaceful places. It was just wonderful to reconnect with a bunch of people, really be encouraged to see people living kind of like their full lives again. Yeah. So yeah, it was great. That's cool. So when you're over there, are you helping or is it more to like be there and be like a moral support or is it more just, hey, I want to come and hang out and just show you that I still care kind of thing? It's a little bit of all the above. I think a lot of people think, you know, you go somewhere and you paint a house or whatever, and I really can't do much for these folks in a short period of time. Yeah. But a lot of people might not be aware that as an American, a lot of other parts of the world are very interested in what Americans think because they only know them from television and that sort of thing. And so you go talk to, they call them students, but folks who are in this recovery process and you share something that maybe they've already heard a number of times, but it's just like a different voice and a different perspective. And so there are a number of opportunities to speak and just offer some encouragement and say, look, guys, I've been in front of groups before and I want to come back and be friends with you. Like mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So build some relationships. And then I think it's very centering for me too, right? Like I never personally struggled with drug addiction, but I know a lot of people who have. And I think I, I've very quickly realized that maybe I made some good choices, but the other fact is I wasn't born into very difficult circumstances or yeah. the kinds of things that might put you in that position. And so like the short of it is I'm no better than any of the people I get to meet, no matter their circumstances. And so it just sort of is a reminder of that. I think I'm more compassionate towards the homeless and the drug addicted here because I step out of my sort of typical yeah. environment as often as is practical and then come back into it sort of recalibrated. Yeah. So I hope I did some good for them while I was over there, but really I think I get so much out of it that it's a vacation and I get to see my friends. That's sort of the way I see it. Yeah. No, but the intent is just very admirable considering not a lot of people will take time away from their families and away from work to do something very selfless, right? Like you said, you come back, you feel refreshed and it gives you maybe a little different perspective. It's a little more compassion perhaps, but again, it's a selfless act and you're putting in the effort and the time. And again, I don't know what the level of risk going over there is, but at the end of the day, there's just not too many people that do that kind of stuff. So again, I think it was really cool to kind of share that and then kind of 
on that topic, even for us here at AES, it's something we do now. This will be our second year of doing it, The Simple Promise, which yeah. is a, a golf tournament focused around rehabilitation and supporting that cause. And if, for those who are interested, just to know more about it, if you connect with us on LinkedIn, there's some posts that are made to talk a little about why and the purpose behind it. But it's a great charity event, brings in a lot of good people and really supports a local facility here for that reason. And again, it's to be in a position to help others, I think is a beautiful thing. And yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I thought that was really neat that you did that and you're back and you do, you look rested and ready and recharged. So hopefully you, that, hopefully it stays like that for yeah. more than just a day or two. I sure hope so. Yeah. yeah. Well, on the drilling fluid side of things, something that's been a topic of discussion over the years is when you have for directional, obviously there's different internal components, one of which is chrome. Today, we're going to talk about why chrome hates chlorides and not why Matt hates chlorides, but why chrome hates chlorides. Because we've done a series on that. And so you don't particularly hate chlorides, but chrome does. And we're here no, to yeah. explain why. And as we get into the nuances, it may be that chrome doesn't actually hate chlorides, but there's something going on here where it sure seems that way. Okay. We're gonna, hopefully we're going to clear the air, but... I mean, look, Justin, you know, we've been through all this, right? Like most common culprit is mud motors, right? You have chrome plated rotor, you have that elastomeric stator and everybody says, oh, we're having all this corrosion. What are you going to do about it? And if you think about it, I mean, a lot of it is related to, guess what? We drill with a lot of brine based fluids. I mean, we've talked about it before. They're cheap. They're effective. Solids free density, like a lot of things that make them extremely beneficial where we're probably not going to go away from them anytime soon. But especially with mud motors, where you need a really smooth rotor against that stator to get all that power, people really want to use chrome plating versus other materials. And you think about your stainless steel, how smooth that is, mm -hmm. you know, all that. And it's supposed to be corrosion resistant. But if it does start to corrode, then you have these rough surfaces rubbing against that elastomer and it tears it apart. And we get, right. you know, motor failure and loss of power and all that stuff. And so... This is always the like, hey, guys, what are you going to do about this? And our answer is, I don't know. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> so I thought we could unpack this a little bit mm -hmm. and sort of hopefully get down to it. And I don't think I have like full absolute answers, but I have a few things I think we could run through to get everybody thinking. Yeah. Well, I think an interesting place to start would be like how Chrome actually prevents corrosion. Because that's the intent is a lot of times they'll have different material selection and chrome being the most robust. And so it'd be kind of interesting to hear why chrome at a high level actually prevents corrosion. Yeah. So, I mean, first things first, like that chrome is a plating, right? So there's a different metal underneath, nickel, whatever. Like you could use other metals even in your rotor, for example. But chrome plating is actually what's called, it's a passivating layer. So what you're doing is you're protecting the metal underneath by limiting the ability for oxygen to get through and that sort of thing by creating a layer that's impermeable to oxygen. And look, you know, like rust, it's actually possible. Let's say you have a big slug of iron. It's actually possible if you have general corrosion where the rust layer that covers it up stops the corrosion. Oh, right. Wow. And then if you scraped away the rust, you'd get more corrosion in that spot. That's a passivating layer. Now, the cool thing about chrome, though, is first, oxygen is a very, very small thing. Oxygen wants to make other atoms lose electrons and acquire those electrons. And guess what? Metals are bigger and they have a bunch of electrons they don't like. So think of aluminum 3 plus or Fe2 plus, right? Mm -hmm. So they're more stable through losing electrons. So oxygen wants to take, metal wants to give, so they come together. Now, guess what? Rust is iron oxide, right? But chromium oxide 
is more compact because oxygen is so highly electronegative and small. So chromium oxide is the strong network between oxygen and the chrome. So it's much tighter together than your regular old rust passivation layer, which means it's much harder for oxygen to get through that layer and cause corrosion, right? Great, right? But the other thing is that because chrome is very hard and it, that small size, if it does encounter oxygen, it's also not going to expand like the reaction product doesn't get bigger and cause chunks to fall off. Okay. But let's flip this on its head. Chrome is also very hard as far as material goes. Right. I don't know if you've ever like, have you ever bent anything that was chrome plated or like smacked it with a hammer and you see how it like chips off pretty quickly? I used to have chrome plated rims. Of course yes. you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know when I've curbed the, my rim, that yeah. happens a When lot. you curbed your dubs, if you will. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> well, that stuff comes off like it under stress, it can crack pretty readily. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing when we're putting a bunch of pressure on a mud motor or something like that? That stator is already right. tremendous force to power that section, right? I've been told by folks that think about a 30-foot stator rotor motor section or power section, as they call it. That rotor can stretch by like half an inch hmm. or more under all that stress. But you have this metal underneath that's going to stretch out a certain rate. And then you have your chrome oxide layer, right, that's supposed to be protecting everything. What's likely to happen if this stuff's really brittle and the stuff underneath it isn't as much? You're going to get cracks. And this is where things start to happen, right? So now you have gaps in the protective layer. And now we get to talk about more corrosion stuff, a galvanic series or a galvanic cell. Okay. okay? So what happens is you've got something that doesn't like to corrode as much and something that likes to corrode. So chrome layer is the anode and then the, let's say, nickel or whatever is underneath is the cathode. But what happens is water makes it through that crack and it wants to eat away at the quote unquote weaker metal. So now we're taking away the layer underneath the chrome, that material, like in the crack, we start eating away at what's exposed. Right. And let's say it's a nickel material or what have you. But now my chlorides are effectively attacking what's underneath the chrome layer. Right. So I have a void space. And guess what? Now I've got chips and my chrome is going to start just flaking off Mm. in all those spots. And this creates these void spaces. So big picture, chrome doesn't necessarily hate chlorides. Chrome makes you hate chlorides. (laughs) Right. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Yeah. No, that's a good point. So if I'm understanding you correctly, a lot of this is mechanical, not necessarily like chemically related, right? It's a mechanical event making a chemical event worse. Right. So if we had a pure homogenous layer of chrome, we don't have this. But mechanically, we stretch a material out and now the chrome cracks and now that chemical interaction can happen where before it was blocked off right because i didn't effectively have that weak link yeah 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 so as soon as that layer starts to fatigue and there's any bit of communication what's underneath then it just amplifies the problem yes right okay cool so i mean knowing all that now what can we do about it well, the first question and the one, like, here's the thing we never get. Uh, thankfully, like, if we're on the well, we have a much better idea of how the fluid was handled or at least a reasonable expectation. But you got to start with your basic corrosion control best practices. You've got to protect the layer underneath the layer, if you will. Right. There's not much we can do about the chrome oxide layer. We need to do something about the substrate. And so there we're trying to use our basic fundamentals keep the pH up to limit that potential corrosion rate, right? Mm -hmm. And you see almost all the literature, like the really nasty pictures all come from mildly acidic environments. So 
if we can keep the pH up above nine, like we generally aspire to do, that can help, you know, basic stuff. Filming materials, I don't expect to work very well in a dynamic environment. Okay. I think the main thing is like chemically limit that kind of circuit from working. And then the other question is like, hey, can we tell what's going on with this motor here? Like, are we stressing it excessively that may accelerate the depletion of this layer? There is a possibility that solids are a factor in this. What I mean by that is, let's say you have some coarse material, this stuff is stretched open and solids are actually kind of working their way into the gaps or like helping chip away at some of this plating, enhances exposure. There may be a relationship there. Look, we know drilled solids affect our ROP and affect a lot of these other things. They could be a contributing factor. The issue for us is we don't get a ton of communication back on motor condition until it's really a problem. It's hard to trend some of these things unless it's quite normal. There are more ways to understand like, hey, what's going on with your motors? Are you beating them up a little bit more aggressively than usual? Like, is that why we're seeing this? Do we put more hours on it because it's more durable now and so it will stay in the lateral longer and so you don't trip as much and therefore it's just actually getting more operational hours under downhole conditions. But I would say like one of the biggest things you can do is keep an eye on your pH. Right. But all that being said, I remember a customer kind of raising this issue with us a while ago and over at my parents' house having scotch with Larry, my dad, (laughs) and he just sort of leans back in his chair. You know, my dad did mostly directional drilling for the end of his career. And he just kind of leans back. He goes, dude, this has been going on forever. He's like, if you're mad about running chlorides and chrome, use carbide. Like, yeah, tough nuggets kind of thing. He might have used different words, but, <laughs> you know, his point is, look, people are very reluctant to do that because different materials won't get you the same power. They aren't as smooth. And so there's more friction or I'll let the motor people chime in on their thoughts with that. Exactly. But yeah. generally speaking, it's just one of those like, look, everybody knows this is sort of a challenge and to some degree, a fair bit of an issue. Right. But There's no like silver bullet and everybody keeps asking, what are we going to do with the mud? And we're pretty limited, especially when we don't know exactly what kind of metallurgies are in the substrate. Is there, we know some of that, but like, once again, we're just limiting corrosion, which is what you do. You slow the rate. You don't, you can't eliminate corrosion. Right. It reminds me of like, I don't know, this might be a terrible analogy, but like you get a rainstorm and your roof leaks and then your house floods, and then the homeowner's like, well, what are we going to do about this rain? It's like, well, no, your roof's busted. Like, it has nothing to do with the rain. The rain's <laughs> coming regardless. You need to fix the roof, not the rain. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's crazy. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at it, just chrome doesn't mind chlorides, right? In itself, chrome will not just corrode because of chlorides, right? No, not necessarily. But any imperfection is ultimately going to create that issue. Right. And so you'll see even like trying to do some of my research for this episode, it's interesting the amount of publications from departments of transportation talking about road salt affecting chrome on motor vehicles. And there are like certain salt spray tests they do to demonstrate that chrome plating is working and that kind of thing. Right. So everybody kind of knows about this and it's certainly lingering and It's surprising how limited the data is on the drilling side. There's a paper from Russia that I like read periodically, but like normally if it's not in a major journal and it's from a country that doesn't put out a lot, especially in the English language, there's a little bit of like, but it's pretty reasonable in some of its explanations. There's a few other limited things, but in general, what you'll see is, yeah, you know, Chrome can hold up to a lot of conditions pretty well. 
especially in static conditions. Right. You start putting it under stress, you expose that layer underneath, and the chrome is actually going to make everything worse because it's that galvanic series. Your sacrificial material is basically whatever's underneath the thing that the protecting layer. Yeah. Anything, again, coming back from the fluid side of things is like keep your properties in line. Ideally, keep it low solids as you can, but there's really not much else that we can do, which again, always the question is like, what are you going to do about it? And it's kind of like, I don't know how much more we could. Now, again, maybe there's some magic bullet out there that we haven't come across, but for the most part, it's material selection and then all the force and the stress that comes along with it. It's It just makes for an environment conducive to we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting. Like, is there an appropriate ratio of like the strength of the material or the expansion of the material beneath it that like, could those stay more uniform or could there be other tricks? We're open if somebody wants to like come up with something and fix this so we could stop dealing with it. (laughs) But there are some limitations in what we understand to be feasible. We're not motor folks per se, but sure. Anyways, I thought this was something worth discussing or dedicating a podcast to? No, I think so. It's a conversation that we've had internally here. And I think it's important just for folks out there, whether they're mud or directional or just drilling in general, is understanding what's going on, especially with this type of material and inside motors. Because again, corrosion and having to come out of the hole because you've chunked motors is never, I mean, again, it costs time and money and all the rest of it. But Understanding what's going on mechanically, I think, is important and not just like having enough awareness now to say, oh, okay, it's not because there's a certain level of chlorides in the mud. Like there's obviously more to the story. And so you need to ask more questions. And and again, if there's anyone on the directional side that wants to kind of chime in or reach out, you can reach us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. Reach out to us on LinkedIn, connect with us on there. The AES Drilling Fluids page also has a ton of great information. You can connect with us there. And with that said, we appreciate all the support, all everyone listening. Hopefully everyone enjoyed the episode we did with Ken Zinger. I especially enjoyed the interviews, talking with others inside the company. That was fun. Matt, welcome back. And for everyone out there, be safe. Until next time. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.